Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Fischler, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Welcome, welcome. It's that time of the year, right? I haven't heard, I don't know how, whose voices you have, I haven't heard, but I certainly have not had the opportunity to be behind this microphone for good few weeks now, right? I'm sure Craig will bear me out on that. It's been a good few weeks since we were last together. So welcome back. Hope you had a good break. Hope you are energized, focused, and ready to achieve great things in the coming months. So I have to put it out there. Just before we get down to today's topic, seeing as it's a fresh time and seeing as this, having spoken to a few people this week, I'm quite happy to see that people have come back upbeat and people have come back with a good attitude. And I hope you're feeling the same way as well. So the question I just want to throw out before we start anything is, what would you like to hear covered, discussed, um, tackled here on Fresh Thinking in 2020 I'm always looking for ideas Always looking for suggestions Always looking for comments Topics So here's your chance Let's get started Before we actually get fully into the year Why don't you throw out some suggestions Of the kind of thing That you would like to hear On air uh, It's a, For those who are I, I know most of you are loyal To the Fresh Thinking brand and program So many of you tune in on a regular basis Maybe you're new to the program You don't know what it is all about Well, this is Rabbi Ari Shishla From Chabad Strathaven. We spend some time together Every Thursday between 2 and 3 p.m. Here in the High FM studios And the brand is Fresh Thinking In other words, what we try and do Is take things that either <coughs> You've never heard it before and say, wow, does Judaism believe or teach or think that? Or we like to take things that you have heard of before and get you to raise your eyebrows and say, wow, I never knew that that was how Judaism sees that particular topic or why Judaism addresses this thing in this particular way. So that's what we try and do. We try and kind of mix it up here a little bit, look at things from a more spiritual perspective a lot of the time, out of the box, lateral thinking. Try and engage people as much as possible. Love your input always. And so here's your chance. Here's your chance to help to direct and pave the way for what 2020 fresh thinking should look like. Please, please, please. No 2020 vision puns. We've had that already for long enough. I'm sure everybody has the 2020 vision puns and they're great. But as I say, or I said to a few people who used the pun, I said, if you really had 2020 vision, you would have used the pun before we got to this year. You would have said it at least a month or two ago, maybe even as far back as Rosh Hashanah. But real stuff, like what, what should we be talking about? What's on the agenda? What's bothering people? What's of concern? What are the issues that our community is confronted with? What are the things that our families need to tackle and overcome? Because that's exactly what it is that we should be talking about. Over this, this is supposed to be relevant, right? This is supposed to be a time uh, that we get together and we talk about things that are relevant. So what for you is relevant? What's, as we say in Hebrew, oimed al haperek? So if you would like to share your thoughts, you are welcome to call in. Almost nobody ever does that. But you are welcome to call in on the studio number 0101403020. Much more popular, of course, is for people to text. So you can send us a message via the Telegram app. So Telegram us 
on 0618951019. You can SMS 34519. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. You can email on air at chaifm.com. Whatever. Just share your thoughts. Share your suggestions. You never know. Might actually make it to the airwaves. Here's a very, oh. <laughs> That's interesting. He has, he has this for a suggestion. It's the first one that I've, that's caught my eye over here. And I'm pretty sure that this is a nom de plume. I'm sure this is not the guy's real name. But his suggestion is a topic to discuss why life is like a bottle of shampoo. Wake up, do your thing, repeat. How's that like a, I guess shampoo is rinse repeat, right? I suppose that was really the the point. So what's that? Groundhog Day. The Jewish view of Groundhog Day is Jew, is life just supposed to be copy paste, copy paste, keep doing the same thing. I think we often do feel that way. It might be a good topic. It might be something worth discussing. Perhaps you've got one as well. Here's another suggestion that's uh, come through. Very intriguing. I think it's quite a niche market. But Martin says we should discuss. What would have happened had Asav done Teshuva? Asav, of course, being the rogue brother of his twin, Yaakov. So how would life be different had Asav done Teshuva? In other words, had he reconciled with God and spirituality and, and all the right values, how would the world be different today? Well, that's an interesting one. I don't know if it would grab the attention of, of most people. But what do you think? What are the topical issues? What's on people's minds? What needs to be addressed? Maybe there's something that you feel needs to be addressed and it's not on people's minds. And we need to raise awareness using this incredible forum. That's the greatness of radio is that you have the opportunity to touch people who may not under ordinary circumstances uh, engage in this level of Jewish uh, engagement and study and so on and so forth. So here's your chance. Here's your chance. Share something. What do you think we should be talking about? I know that for a lot of people, there's a lot of concern about where the world is going on the broader level. Is there going to be war in Iran? Although that seems to have calmed down a little bit. What's going to happen with the future of our own country? What about anti-Semitism? I know that those are perennial topics that really come up um, often, whether it's a war with Iran or it's just general Middle East. But the fact of the matter is these are the things that come up quite often. But what about other things that are personal issues? What about stress? Maybe that's something that we should be talking about. What about relationships issues. In fact, somebody actually did send that to me. It was quite a funny message because uh, they, they put a whole bunch of things together. Let me see if I can find it. It was divine providence. Divine providence. I can't find it. I'll have to find that message. It came through a little bit earlier right at the beginning. But somebody said divine providence and something else and marriage. <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting that they should all go together. What's the uh, correlation? Between them. Okay, so uh, what do you think? What what are the things that are going on behind closed doors that people have to have the opportunity to hear about or to talk about or to interact about? Love to hear your thoughts on those. Uh, Michael sends a message over here through my telegram. So Michael's our uh, first telegram message of the year. Let's see. What do you say? The Jewish way would be to use a higher quality shampoo each wash. Okay. <laughs> I was looking for a topic, not for a solution. Okay. <laughs> That's a uh, nice one, Mike, but come on, give us a topic. I know you can, and I know you've always, you've always got some ideas out there. And then while you're mulling that over and while you're thinking about it and coming up with your ideas of what we should discuss during 2020, let's get down to business 
for what it is that I'd like to share with you today. Now, we've never, I don't believe we've ever done this before in all the years of fresh thinking. I don't believe we've ever done a real biographical insight into a person. And I'd like to do that because it's more than biography in this particular case. I'd like to examine a particular person who's uh, quite relevant at this time of the year and is very relevant to Judaism altogether and use that as a means to explore a whole lot of topics. We'll see how much time we have and how much we get to cover. So speaking about the Rambam. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, better known in the broader world as Maimonides, who lived <coughs> in uh, the 12th century. And it's his Yorzeit tonight. The Yorzeit of the Rambam is this evening. So I thought it would be interesting, you know, because we throw around the name and people are very aware of who the Rambam is. I think probably the Rambam's portrait might be one of the most well-known portraits of a medieval Torah scholar. And he appeared on a stamp in Israel at one point and coins and all kinds of tributes to the Rambam in various places around the world. It's a household name, but how much do we know about the man? How much do we know about the legend? So I thought this would be a nice opportunity for us. As we start the year and everybody's kind of warming up and before we dive into all kinds of deep and mystical and philosophical things, let's take some time and give credit to one of the greatest contributors to Jewish thought in the whole of our history, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam. And let's talk a little bit about him. What does he mean to you when you hear Rambam? What do you think? What does he mean? What would you say is his greatest contribution? That's what we're going to chat about today. You're welcome to join the conversation. SMS line is 34519. You can follow Mike's example and use Telegram 0618951019 or join the masses on Twitter. At Chai FM and at Rabashish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So here we are. We're talking today about, well, like I said, I'd like to in, invite you to share your thoughts, your suggestions for topics that we could discuss over the next few months, seeing as it is that time of the year when everybody's fresh and excited and looking for new opportunities and things to do. So here's your chance. But for now, Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, otherwise known as Maimonides, what does he mean to you? What do you think of when you hear the name Rambam? What would you say is his greatest contribution to society, to Judaism? So I think it's interesting. It is his, it is his Yorzai tonight. So that's an opportunity for us to speak about the Rambam, to celebrate his life, to celebrate his legacy, to celebrate his contribution. Undoubtedly, one of the greatest contributions to Jewish thought, philosophy, law, Talmudic insight. So much so that if you've ever been to Tiberias and you've visited the graveside of the Rambam, you'll see that the inscription there says, from Moshe, referring to the original Moses, until Moshe, referring to Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, None have rivaled Moshe. Now, you've got to think what it takes for a person to get that kind of an accolade. What is it that is so unique about the Rambam? And I thought that that would be something interesting for us to talk about because it can also precipitate conversation around some of the core things that the Rambam introduced or revolutionized around Judaism. And we can talk about those also to see just what what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? Uh, Mike is back on Telegram with a topic. He says, I think we should discuss how to be a mensch to everyone in the community, not just to those we know. Sometimes people will tell you that it's easier to be a mensch to the people you don't know. But there you go, Mike. That might very well be a great topic for us to discuss. Keep them coming, by the way, if you have topics that you would like us to share or discuss or examine, explore during the course of this year. I would love to hear your suggestions. For now... 
let's talk about the Rambam for a second, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. So what, what does he mean? What, what does he mean to you? What does he mean to Judaism? How much do you know? That, I think that's probably a good place to start. How much do you actually know? When I say you, I, don't, I mean us collectively. How much do we know about the Rambam? We know the name, Maimonides, big name, certainly something that stands out. So what, what would you say about him? Now, it, it's interesting because if you look, if you Google, and I actually didn't do this, and perhaps I should have done it before we started. If you Google Maimonides, I'm pretty certain that you'll get very diverse responses and very diverse write-ups because he was a very diverse person. The Rambam was a person who features great, greatly in the world of philosophy and features greatly in the world of Jewish law and features greatly in the world of medicine. In fact, there are certain Maimonidic principles that still influence modern medicine today, and that's something that's that's really really interesting. I'm sure people are familiar with the fact that there's something called the Rambam's diet that some people swear by still till today, where the Rambam underwrites that any person who follows this particular health regimen, and by the way, it's not only about diet. There are other elements that he includes as well. He guarantees you that you'll never get sick. And unless there's some kind of an epidemic, you're pretty much fine and you'll live a healthy and good life. Unfortunately, by the way, dietary trends of the modern world are very different what the Rambam writes about. So I thought it would be interesting maybe to start a little bit just with a perspective. He has a perspective for you. You know, we all talk about how life is difficult and we talk about the pressures that we are under, which are valid. Sometimes, however, we use the external pressures, what's going on in the world, the politics of our own country, the fear of crime, anti-Semitism, or the internal stuff that we're dealing with. Right now, I'm going through a difficult time, and I'm not belittling that because we do go through difficult times, but often we use that as reason not to perform or to achieve in our Judaism in the way that we should. Again, sometimes a person is going through a really rough time and they find it difficult to reconcile with their Judaism because I'm going through such a rough time. So where's God and why should I be doing something for him? And by the way, parenthetically, if you read this week's Torah portion, you'll see there's a fascinating interchange between Moshe, between Moses and God on exactly that point. He says, oh, right, you want to send me to rescue the Jews? Why now? Why didn't we do it 200 years ago? Okay, that's something else that we can discuss for another time. So anyway... Very often what happens to us is we excuse ourselves and say, there's stuff, there's too much stuff going on. And a lot of the time I don't think we even necessarily stop to realize how much of that stuff is self-inflicted. So a very, very interesting article during the break, during the December break, about a philosophy professor who noticed that her students were not really participating and learning properly for their exams. And they seemed to be very distracted and they were battling with concepts. And she took their phones voluntarily. She got them all to hand in their phones for nine days. And then she had them all write about the experience of how that shifted their, their entire learning and concentration and so on. So sometimes the things that we claim are so heavy and weighing us down, maybe they might be the uh, results of our own doing. So if we'd like just a point of reference, let's use the Rambam as a point of reference. So the Rambam was born in Cordoba in Spain. At that point in time, Spain, early 12th century, not a bad place to live. As a Jewish person, the world seemed quite bright and there seemed to be great opportunities. He came from a very illustrious family, by the way. The Rambam's family on his father's side could trace their lineage directly, patrilineally, 
all the way back to King David. So I mean, that's that's lineage. That's considered the creme de la creme, so to speak, in terms of families. So things were looking up and up. But by the time the Rambam hit his bar mitzvah, there was a fanatical Islamic group who came into Cordoba, and it was no longer hospitable for Jews to live there. And the family had to they had to leave them and dozens and maybe hundreds of others like them families had to get up and they had to leave. So there's your first turmoil. Just think about this early teenager. Let's just pause for a second. We know, living as we do in the 21st century, that if somebody was exposed to a trauma in their early teens, we'd be talking up how important it is for them to have therapy and how you have to expect that there's going to be fallout and they may have PTSD. Think about this for a second. When we talk about a fanatic group that came in to Cordoba, we're talking about people bloodshed. We're talking about clamping down on Jewish practice. We're talking about brutality. Surely in, in our context, of course, you'd say, listen, the Rambam had PTSD. Don't expect much out of him. Uh, he was uprooted from his home at a very tender age, and they were on the run for a number of years, shifting from pillar to place, a proper refugee. What do you expect from the man? How much should he achieve in his life. Well, they moved around Spain trying to find a place to settle. Didn't work out and they had to cross the Mediterranean and landed up in Morocco, which looked to be a possible, <clears throat> a possible haven. That also did not work out so well and eventually they went to Israel. You have to bear in mind when we're talking about 12th century, you still got the, uh, the, the over, the, the leftovers of the Crusades. Still not a hospitable place for a nice Jewish family. In fact, there was tremendous conflict, you know, for control over Israel, uh, Christian Muslim conflict, and who often were the victims were the Jews. So eventually they landed up in Egypt. Now you have to understand psychologically what it is for a Jewish family to settle in Egypt. The Torah says clearly that you may not settle in Egypt. You're not allowed to do it, but they didn't have an option. I mean, there was, there was nobody, there was nowhere else to go. It's not like today, get on a plane, go transatlantic. You know, those were the choices. They were regional choices. And so they land up in Egypt, and that's actually where the Rambam starts to develop is in Egypt. That's where he lived out his days. He had a brother, so before we talk about his brother, just consider that for a moment. Consider the turmoil, consider the upheaval, consider the stress, consider the psychological issues that must be associated with that kind of early lifestyle. You'd be excused for thinking that the Rambam would just go about his life. If he could hold down a decent job and build a family, he would have done exceptionally well. And if he had half-decent mental health after all that, that would be really impressive. Meanwhile, we all know what the Rambam went on to achieve. But as they say in the classics, but wait, there's more. We'll come to that in a second. Michael now is throwing out the suggestions for topics. Thank you. Here's a topic, kosher media in an unkosher world. I believe we actually spoke about that once on this show. And here's another one. How does or can belief sustain a person suffering with depression? Okay, big one. Suffering with depression, loss of income, or loneliness in modern society. And you've got to be so careful with that because that could sound like really, really patronizing. Nice topics. We'll put those onto the list. Through Chai FM, you connect to the world, to Israel, and to the global listening community. But now you can connect to the heart of the station. Download our free app to listen live. Contact the studio, office, or helpline at one touch. You can find it on the Google App Store. Chai FM, C-H-A-I-F-M. Just look for the logo. The Chai FM app is brought to you by Binary Headquarters.
And pick and pay. It wouldn't be Thursday without a pick and pay ad, right? Pick and pay. Norwood Hyper have these pocket saving sweet deals just for you. Pick and pay whole kosher chicken for 79.99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher lean mince at a very low 109.99 per kilo. Petite hake fillets for 79.99 per kilo. Nori kosher pastrami, 150 grams is only 49.99. And nori kosher brisket have 150 grams for 46.99. Catch these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pink and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pink and Pay Hyper Norwood is the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. Well, there you have it. If you've just joined in, it's Rabbi Shishla Fresh Thinking Thursday afternoon. This is what we do. Take things and look at them from a different perspective. Wow, some people actually send in long messages. A bit too long, I think, for radio, but we'll hold those thoughts. Still enjoy the messages, so keep them coming. I'm asking the question... Firstly, do you have any good topics that you would like us to discuss during the course of the year? And then specifically today, we're talking about the Rambam so far. Just a very brief biogra- biographical sketch. It is his Yorzeit tonight. Hence the discussion. And uh, I'm just talking about the fact that the Rambam did not have an easy life. And that didn't stop him from going off to become one of the most brilliant people ever in Jewish history. I'd like to hear your thoughts or insights or anything you know or would like to know about the man, about his contribution to, to, to Judaism. SMS 34519. You can send us a message on Telegram 0618951019 or tweet at Chai FM and tweet at Rabbi Shish. So here's the Rambam, had to run away together with his family at a very young age, had to escape from Spain, eventually to Morocco, didn't work out, went to Israel, couldn't settle there either, and finally settled in Egypt. He landed up in a city called Fostat in Egypt. And it's in that environment that the Rambam went on to become this incredible person. They used to call him at that point Hanesher HaGadol, the great eagle. That implies that he had this incredible reach and influence over Jewish communities. Bear in mind this is a pre-technological age. And to have that kind of influence all the way down to Yemen. Yemenite Jews owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the Rambam because of what he did for their communities. Kept their Judaism alive at a time that they were really under duress. And beyond as well. So the Rambam is living in Egypt and within a very short period of time, he loses his father, his wife and two of his sons. Boom. Think about that for a second. It's a personal holocaust. Any ordinary person would be shattered. They would have had, I mean, you can expect this from any ordinary person that that's a good few years of inability to be able to focus, to do anything, got to put your life back together again. And here it is. He, uh, he doesn't get, he doesn't get shaken. It's an incredible thought. During all of this, he has a brother. The Rambam had a brother who was a gem merchant who used to support him. And his brother, not too long after that, drowns. And so again, the Rambam has to step out of his comfort zone and become a medical doctor in order to, in order to, uh, stay alive. So, isn't that incredible? So piece it all together. He has a person who in his early teens was a refugee. He saw brutality at the youngest age, had to run literally from pillar to post, then lost a good portion of his own family, eventually including the brother who supported him. And none of that flustered him. He went on to become this incredibly huge contributor to Judaism. It's fascinating. By by his 20s, the Rambam was already writing. 
by, by his twenties, the Rambam was already putting together a commentary on the early Talmudic book, the Mishnah. And then he went on from that, and as we know, he wrote on philosophy, and he wrote on Jewish belief, and he wrote letters of encouragement to communities under fire. One of, probably one of the most interesting letters that the Rambam penned is called the Geras Hashmad, where he fought some of the leading rabbis at the time to defend the actions of Jews who under duress had superficially converted to other religions. And the Rambam was very much a supporter of the fact that don't, don't malign them and don't exclude them and don't excise them because at the end of the day, they, are, they, they, they don't really believe what it is that they've done. They're just trying to look after themselves. Quite something, quite something, very progressive way of thinking if you consider it at that particular point in time. The, Reb, the, the Rambam was no stranger to controversy, by the way. People did not like a lot of what he did, and that's actually part of what we should speak about because controversial people in Jewish history, you go one way or the other. You know, some controversial people destroyed swaths of Judaism, and others, like the Rambam, went on to preserve Judaism in the most spectacular way. Somebody a little bit earlier today told me that he feels that the Rambam is responsible for for saving Judaism. That's literally how he, he perceives it, that the Rambam is responsible for saving Judaism at that time. And I don't think it's an exaggeration for a variety of reasons. So what is it? What did he do? What was his contribution that was so incredible? And a lot of people identify the Rambam simply because of Moira Hanavuchim, his book called Guide to the Perplexed. And people love it. Anybody who enjoys philosophy, anybody who enjoys exploring the rational basis for belief will love the Moira Hanavuchim. There's one downside to that. I remember many, many years ago, there was a fellow who wanted to learn, and the only book that he was interested in with me, I'm saying he approached me and he, he wanted to study together, but the only book that he was interested in learning was Moira Hanavuchim, the Rambam's Guide to the Perplexed, and quite frankly, we didn't really spend a lot of time on that in Yeshiva. So it was quite interesting. It was quite an eye-opening experience because you feel it's almost like a different Rambam. You know, you write, you read some of the other works of the Rambam and you read the Moira Hanavuchim, the Guide to the Perplexed. It's like two different people. He's speaking to obviously a very specific kind of an audience, a rationalist audience. And people come to the conclusion based on that that the Rambam was a rationalist, which is true, but it's not the whole picture. The Rambam was also a mystic. The Rambam was a legalist. The Rambam is a fascinating, he's a very complex personality, complex in a positive way, you know, very developed, very, very, Exciting personality, actually. And that might be one of the reasons somebody sent me earlier on Twitter, and I don't recall exactly who it was. Let me see if I can find the tweet, who says that the Rambam is the perfect example. Here we go. Obsessed abroad. He exemplified Torah Umada. That's Torah and science. Brilliant scholar. Brilliant physician. Well, that is true. That is absolutely true. And that's also not the picture. I feel that he's one of those personalities. Anesher Hagodol, the great Eagle, one of those personalities who you, you, you just you won't plumb the depths at the end of the day. There's so much that you just simply won't ever get a real handle on how brilliant and how deep and how spiritual this person was. Yes, Michael still on Telegram, and then he says he's got to run, which is unfortunate. He says during the Rambam's time, natural food was more healthy. Don't understand that there was only natural food. Well, there was there was no processed food in the Rambam's time. Interesting point. Anyhow, he continues. He advocated only eating twice a day and meat to be the last thing that you should eat. So the last thing you should eat, let's just clarify that for a second. One of the things that the Rambam says, the Rambam was not a fan of eating red meat, certainly not in great quantities, and was dead against biltong, I might tell you. <laughs> so there's something to consider. He felt it was poison. 
But the Rambam says at a meal you should move from the lighter foods to the heavier foods. That's, I think, what Michael means by the meat at the end. And, oh, I see it's the same message from Telegram twice. Okay. And then he says, Mike says, discuss the Rambam's letter to his son. I think you might be referring to the letter of the Ramban, although there is one of each. Okay. So there's, so there's topics, lots of topics. We're, we're welcoming you. We're offering you the opportunity to share your topics as well. Three, four, five, one, nine. If you would like to share something via SMS, you can also message on Twitter. Oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. At all times, you can phone the studio. Oh, one, oh, one, four, oh, three, oh, two, oh. And you can tweet like everybody else does because there's a lot of Twitter conversation. Not all of it is necessarily directly relevant to the conversation at Chai FM at Rabbi Shish. Let's talk about the Rambam. I'll give you this humorous one from Jewish Connectivity on Twitter. He says, the Rambam's greatest achievement was to appear on the cover of my Hebrew school, Machberet. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. What do you think was the Rambam's greatest achievement? This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, talking over here about the Rambam, pity that Mike had to get out of the car because he was sending us some uh, some good insights over there about the Rambam's diet. I don't believe, though, that the Rambam's diet would be his greatest contribution to Judaism. I don't think that that would be fair. Here we're talking about a person who, well, I suppose you could argue back and forth, but arguably his greatest contribution and I might add at the time, one of the most controversial was the series called Mishneh Torah. Let's contextualize this just for a moment. So we know that at Sinai, God gave the Torah. And we know that the Torah is, from the beginning, comprised of two streams. One stream is called Torah Shebechsav, the written Torah, that is what people will call scripture. And the other is called Torah Shabal Peh, the oral tradition that accompanies it, which has to be there from the beginning because much of scripture is actually completely impossible to understand. It just, you've left out information over here, key information. You're not telling me what's going on. So that oral tradition was passed down through the course of history and there's a really, really good reason to have it. Anybody who's familiar with how Judaism works will appreciate why Oral tradition is that important because if you want to keep something alive, don't put it in a book. I remember a few years ago, there was a fellow here. He was a professor and one of his areas of interest was memory. And he told me, I'll never forget this. He told me that the worst thing that ever happened to human memory was the art of writing because the minute you can write something down, you feel you don't have to remember it. I'll, I'll just write it down and then when I need it, I'll consult the book. If not, let's, I mean, we don't have to discuss Googling and, uh, you know, the whole business of phone numbers. You remember, right? Anybody here who's born in any time, I suppose, before 1985, <laughs> probably before 19, yeah, let's say 85, will tell you, oh, when we were kids, we used to remember everybody's phone numbers. Now, it's not even an option. So it's, there's a value in having an oral tradition, things that are not written down, things that keep the conversation alive. That way you keep checking your perspectives with other people because you have to discuss things in order to remember, in order to recall, in order to learn. It keeps it alive. It's not a book. Judaism is not a library. I always wonder if it's a positive or negative thing that people call us the people of the book. Are we the people of the book? I'm not sure. Not sure if that's accurate. We're the people of the Torah. Yes, the Torah is not a book. 
Torah is much more than a book. Part of it is in a book, yes. A lot of it is the transmission from generation to generation, parent to child, teacher to student. Now, when things reached a point where it was no longer practical to just rely on that oral tradition, because for the first time in a thousand years since the birth of the Jewish nation, we were no longer in the same country, living all together with the luxury of being able to share ideas back and forth and have that live test of, okay, did I get this information right? What did you hear from your teacher? That's when they started to write things down, and that was the goal of the Talmud, was to be able to just record. But you'll notice, anybody who's learned the Talmud would know that it does not record information in a sequential, easy, systematic way. It's all conversational, it's quite exciting, it's quite animated, and often leaves you without resolution, which keeps it an oral tradition, even though you've got it in a book. And then the Rambam arrives on the scene and he says, look, it's not like it used to be. Things are not as they used to be. Not everybody can pick up the book and wade through the Talmud and arrive at the correct conclusion. Not everybody has the benefit of living in a town where they have qualified rabbis who can help them sort out what the entanglement of the Talmud is actually trying to say. Not everybody even reads Hebrew. The Rambam was living in Egypt. Jews in Egypt were first language Arabic. The idea of... Of, uh, <laughs> the idea of, you know, l- learning something out of an original book that, that was, that was beyond them. It was something that they, that they couldn't necessarily access. So the Rambam had this idea and he said, okay, I'm going to write up a book called the Sefer HaMitzvah. It's going to be essentially the very basic guide and overview to all 613 biblical commandments. And that's what he did. And he did it at a fairly young age. And it was this incredible resource. Suddenly people had the ability to open up a book and to read up, okay, this is what Jews do and this is what Jews don't do. And, and, and it gave them a guide. And based on that, the Rambam then developed this 14-volume encyclopedia. Just bear in mind what it was to write with a quill. Just bear in mind what it was to get hold of paper or parchment or whatever it was that was available to write on. In those days, to be able to produce a 14 volume, just think about the time that that took. Anybody who has ever learnt the series of books will know the brilliance, the incredible brilliance, how he's capable of building one concept on the next. So if you start from the beginning and work your way through, you'll understand what's going on. If you jump in in the middle, you might be quite lost because he's relying on information that he's built into the earlier chapters. And a catalogued categorized, sequential, systematic way of learning everything that you have to know to be Jewish. All the practical things related to be Jewish. So the first section is the the, the basic philosophy, what you have to believe as a Jewish person, what Jews believe about. Anybody ask that question, what do Jews believe about? Great place to start. Take the first volume of the Mishnah Torah, look inside, and you'll see he describes the Jewish perspective on God, what Hashem is, how Hashem operates, why we, well not so much why we've created the world, how he created the world, the nature of angels, the spiritual realms. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Then he talks about the human being, how you should behave, how you should conduct yourself, not just in the arena of mitzvahs, but also in the, the just the way you carry yourself as a human being, how you should keep yourself healthy. And then it dies from that into all the laws that you have to know, everything that you have to know. Laws that apply today, Shabbos, kosher, Yom Tov, business laws, property laws, laws that only used to apply at the time of the temple, impurity, purity, bringing sacrifices, laws that will only relate to the time of Moshiach. Phenomenal, an absolutely phenomenal 
work. It's an, it's an incredible, incredible masterpiece. And people turn around, leading people in the Jewish community turn around and say, what have you done? The name Mishneh Torah means the companion to the Torah. So effectively he advocates in his introduction that what you should do is you should read scripture and then read this book and you'll know everything that you have to know in order to live Jewish. People were up in arms. They, they burnt, can you imagine this? They burnt his books. How can you undermine the way that Jews have learned for thousands of years? Now, bear in mind, we're not talking over here about an individual who came along and said, you no longer need to practice in a particular way. On the contrary, he said, we need to bolster practice. People are falling off. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They're failing. They're flailing. They don't really understand how a Jewish person is supposed to behave. Let's make it easier for them. Let's make it accessible for them. People went ballistic. Accessible, that's it. You're going to kill the yeshiva system. You're going to blow away the opportunity for people to be able to to learn and work their way through something and understand it and come to own it. This is a terrible idea. Well, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of eight centuries. You can look back, say, was the Rambam right or were they right? You look at it today, the concept of codified Jewish law is probably one of the most important things that kept Judaism genuine, that kept it alive. The ability to be able to open up a book and look under a particular heading, in a particular category, and just know what it is that you have to do. Know where to find the answers to your questions. Yes, some things are more complicated. Yes, we are all obligated to stretch our minds to understand to, to the best of our ability and not just rely on some kind of a, a you know, a self-help book. But this is practical. You're talking about a Jewish nation dispersed across the whole world. You can't expect that everybody's going to have the luxury of sitting down in a yeshiva and having this incredible, brilliant, complex shiur, and that's going to stimulate them to connect with the Judaism. You know, people just, they, they need practical tools. They need practical tools. And I think that that's probably the greatest contribution, that revolution of allowing the Jewish world to cater towards people who don't necessarily have the interest or the wherewithal, or the education to be able to do things as the greats of the past did. More, I'm sure that we could talk about it. love to hear your thoughts. Here's Michael, I guess, got back in the car. says, the Rambam's pyramid of food to eat is as follows. Vegetable slash fruit. By the way, the Rambam's not such a big fan of fruit, incidentally. I think the Rambam felt the sugar content, I'm assuming, is a problem in fruit. He was much more an advocate of fresh vegetables. Anyhow, then he says, sea, fish, fresh water, chicken, uh, young sheep, mature sheep, then beef, no fruit after meat, no liquid with food. That's true. The Rambam does say that you should not drink at the same time that you eat. It's really, really fascinating, by the way. If you've never read it, you should. But I think more importantly is to read that entire section because it talks about how to be a mensch, going back to Mike's original point. Your thoughts, if you have anything about the Rambam that you feel we should share or that you would like to share, 34519. Telegram is 0618951019 or tweet at FM. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, and we could probably speak about the Rambam for a very long time. But we don't have a very long time. We only have a few minutes left. And I suppose, you know, talking about the Rambam's great contribution, making Judaism accessible, you have to think that 800 years ago, the concept of making Judaism accessible was so foreign, was so radical, was so progressive. You want to talk about 2020 vision? There's an individual that had 2020 vision. There's somebody who could see generations into the future who could understand the need to be able to empower people at a level that they can engage with. And then did such a brilliant job of it. And if there were people who needed to, 
their philosophical concerns to be addressed. So he wrote a book for them too, The Guide to the Perplexed. And if there were people who were going through all kinds of national political pressures and their, their Judaism was hanging by a thread, then he wrote the classic Igeris Taiman, the uh, letter to the Yemenite Jews to, to help them hold on to faith. At an incredibly, incredibly difficult time. Maybe you could say the Rambam's greatest contribution was his, his, uh, versatility. But I don't think that's it. I think the Rambam's greatest contribution is that if you know how Torah operates, it is an ongoing, unfolding experience. Torah was not a once upon a time, back at Sinai thing. Torah is live. And I think that's very much what the Rambam shows. Torah is live. In this generation, this is how we Package it. We don't change it. We don't drop anything. We don't lessen our standards. We don't undermine our value set. But we package it in a way that speaks to this particular generation. We recognize that Hashem has designed the world in a particular way that during the course of time, people will have less capacity for spirituality, less capacity for focus. Talk about our ADD generation. Talk about how much we're on our phones and unable to to focus on anything for more than, I don't know, what is it today, seven seconds or something like that? Just to be able to see, to be able to have that forward-thinking approach that says, that does not mean that Judaism now is under threat. That means that Hashem has created an opportunity for us to repackage and develop the way Judaism should speak to this particular time. If there's one thing that that we could take from the Rambam, besides the fact, by the way, that I think it would be absolutely worthwhile for every person to read, well, not to read, to learn, to study that Mishnah Torah, because it's phenomenal. In the in the 80s, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe started a system whereby you learn a piece of this Mishnah Torah every single day, and you cover it in, within a year. You get this bird's eye view of the whole Torah every single year. Do you have any idea how empowering that is? Do you have any idea how amazing that is? So besides that, I think there's also just that, that recognition, that reality check for ourselves. And the reality check is that it's, it's not good enough <clears throat> just to, uh, just, you know, huh, just to, that's funny because I'm sitting here in front of a computer that's just decided to reboot. And as it did something tickled in the throat, so that also has to reboot. Craig is going to go crazy over here from everything collapsing on him. So the lesson is, the lesson is to to keep to keep a fresh mind. This is the whole goal of fresh thinking, to keep a fresh mind and understand that Torah is dynamic. Torah is alive. Torah speaks to our situations. It's not afraid of our situations. It adapts its language to suit our situations. That's very much what the Rambam did. And to quote Danny, who sent me that message much earlier today. He literally saved Judaism. It's wonderful to be back. Great to interact with you. Thank you for all the messages. I know I did not get to all of them, but I have recorded your topics. So that's something we can please God introduce in the coming months. Till then, have a great Shabbos and a fantastic week ahead.